This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. Good evening. As you know, my name is Pastor Tanner. And I have been charged to relay a series of very unfortunate offenses. If you are still unaware, this verbose rhetoric with all of its elegance, or with all of its elegant turns of phrase, is not the usual manner in which I choose to express myself. Thus, I am surprised and impressed to see so many of you back tonight. After last week's gruesomely grueling soliloquy, but I must give yet another disclaimer to you that tonight may not be pleasant at all, and soon this speech may become less like the flowing prose of a flamboyant bard and more like the hiss of an incredibly deadly viper, because you might be enlightened on some offenses that you may be holding against the very person seated next to you. As a disclaimer to my disclaimer, the incredibly deadly viper is no real danger to you, though it may seem by all outer appearances to be ruthless and evil and agony-inducing. I promise you that it has far less bite than most people would believe, and it is actually very peace-loving, much like the words I'm about to say. There will come a time in your life in which you find out that you are mad at somebody and you might not even remember why. There will also come a time in your life that you'll think somebody else is mad at you or doesn't like you, and you just simply won't know why. There will also come a time in your life that someone doesn't like you because of something that you did that you thought was super trivial, but because it was a huge deal to them, they don't like you because of that. There will also come a time in your life where you'll be legitimately mad at someone for a very real important reason to you, and the other person won't even realize that they've made you mad in the first place. So what I've told you of those four scenarios, every single scenario will include one person who is currently in the act of sinning because of what they're holding or their offense that they're holding on to or their anger that they're hanging on to for the other person. There's at least one person in each scenario. Last week, we talked about political sin, which wasn't about politics at all, really. But we're continuing this week and finding out some different ways in which we might harbor offenses towards other people, different kind of offenses that people might have had against us and which we choose to just hang on to and not let go of. So to set a little bit of groundwork tonight, uh, turn in your Bibles to John 13. We're going to dive into some scripture right off the bat, and you'll want to stay in John 13 because we're going to come back to it a little bit later in my sermon. John 13, we'll be starting in verse 34. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the board. Verse 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't know about you, but in three sentences, he says the exact same thing three different times over and over again in the exact same way. Love one another. It becomes pretty obvious that Jesus is commanding us to what? Love one another. Oh, my goodness. It's so obvious, right? But yet in practice, it can be so different and so difficult. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to to think about it logically, but at the same time, be very, very real with yourself. If I asked you if the only way 
that you could get into heaven was if God saw you and how you treated other people was the same way that Jesus loved other people. If that was the only way you could get into heaven was that God saw that, would you get into heaven? If you didn't see anything about Jesus Christ and Jesus being our Savior or anything like that, I'm not saying that this is the only way you can get into heaven. But think about it this way. If Jesus said, the only way that people will know you is how you love one another. If God, the only way he could see that you knew who Jesus was, was by how you loved one another, would God know you were a disciple of Jesus? Ask yourself that critically and be, be very honest with yourself. Because it says to love one another just as Jesus loved. What's that? Sorry, I didn't hear you. How did Jesus love? I'm so glad you asked. Luke 6, 32 through 36 tells us, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit, credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So then if I repeat my question, have you loved one another like this? Have you even loved other Christians like this? So I know I've shared this story in Chi Alpha before, but I'm going to share it again. So if you've been here and you've heard it, sorry, you get to listen to it again. But if you haven't heard it, I hope you get something out of it. But when I was an early Christian, God was, was walking me through how I loved and, and how I loved other people. Love was definitely something that was very much, I loved the people close to me and everybody else I didn't really care about. And so I was asking God, God, can you help me to love like you love? Can you show me to love like Jesus loves? And immediately, this is maybe a month or two into my walk with Christ, real, real early in my Christian walk. And almost immediately, this person, I'll just call him Mike, came to mind. This guy named Mike was uh, someone from my past. And a lot of you guys don't know my past, but let's just say it wasn't, wasn't uh, pleasant. This was somebody from my past, and God was saying, this Mike person, I want you to reach out to him, and I want you to, to share with him about me, and I want you to tell him how much I love him. That's all good and all, right? Well, Mike was, at this point in time, literally my worst enemy that I could have ever dreamed of having. Mike was the kind of person that I kind of really wished would never really surface again in my life. Like, I would be perfectly okay if Mike just kind of disappeared from my life and was never present in my life and just kind of was a part of my past that I didn't really look back to. You guys might have people like that in mind, but if I could identify my worst enemy at this point in time, it was Mike. I didn't want anything to do with Mike. And so God says, you need to reach out to Mike. 
I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pray for Mike instead. And so I pray that super generic, cheesy, horrible prayer that you pray when you pray for somebody you don't like. And you're like, God, will you just destroy this person and show him your love so he will change and no longer be an idiot anymore? You guys know what I'm talking about. You prayed it before. I guarantee it. Because you feel like you're praying for your enemies, but in reality, you're just praying that your enemy would be not a bad person anymore or not the person that you hate so much anymore, that generic prayer. Well, that was the prayer that I prayed for Mike. And the thing about God is he doesn't really settle for what we want to give him instead. And so God's like, no, I told you, you need to reach out to Mike. I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'll shoot him a Facebook message. So I get down and I'm I'm praying, and I'm just like, all right, God, you know what? Maybe this is an opportunity where you're just going to wreck this dude, and you're just going to change his life, and he's no longer going to be a jerk, a few other words that aren't appropriate. Like, God, this is what you're going to do, so you know what? I'm going to go ahead and reach out. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Jonah kind of style thing, you know, where like where I show up, and all of a sudden I just say one word, and he's like, I repent. I'm so sorry. I love you, Tanner. So I get up the courage, and I send out this message. I'm like, super simple. Hey, Mike, just you know, want you to know that I care about you, and uh, I just felt like Jesus was telling me to talk to you and tell you how much he cares about you. Super simple message. I got like three pages of expletives and how dare yous and you don't know my life's and F-bomb this, F-bomb that. Stop talking to me. I hate you. That kind of response. And so I was like, oh, awesome. That's not how I wanted it to go down. And God wouldn't just let it go. God was like, I don't care that he hates you. I'm still going to ask you to talk to him about me. And so I replied. I was like, man, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that I'm not exactly the best person to share this with you. Let me share my experiences with God. I didn't know God, and I shared just a little bit of my testimony, super short, couple paragraphs, made it quick, but just kind of shared that how God has just wrecked me, and I was reaching out to him because, you know, God was challenging me how I should love other people, and I just wanted him to know how much God loved him. I got back another couple pages of almost the exact same text of F you's and screw you's and you don't know my life, and stop talking to me, I hate you. I mean, this, this guy had, as much as I hated him, he probably hated me back, if not maybe even more at this point in time at least. And so I didn't, you know, there, there was no fruit from getting to reach out to Mike. I didn't see a crazy life transformation. Who knows what might happen in the future, but at that point in time, there was, there was nothing beneficial for me to reach out to Mike. And so, but God wanted me to reach out to him anyway. And like I said, I wish I could tell you that three years down the road or four years down the road or seven years down the road that Mike gave his life to Christ and he was radically changed or something like that. Like I said, I don't know what the future entails, but every few years, God brings back Mike to me. And I pray for him and I, and I, Every once in a while, I'll reach out to him. And my attitude as time has gone on has just changed about Mike. 
right off the bat, it changed a lot. I no, no longer viewed him as an enemy. I just viewed him as somebody who was lost. And then I didn't hate him. And then eventually I started to, to have passion for him. And, and I started to actually genuinely care about what happened to him in his life. Not just the cheesy because God told me to care about him, but genuinely I started caring about him. And ever, like I said, every few years, God just brings him back up. You need to reach out to him. You need to pray for him. And I pray for him as often as I even think about him. And uh, a couple of years ago, God kind of reminded me of him and was like, hey, you need to reach out to, to Mike. And it was actually from, I shared about him here in Chi Alpha, I think, and somebody came up to me and was talking to me about him. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to reach out to him again. And I reached out to him one more time. And I was like, hey, Mike, you know, I just want you to know that I care about you and Jesus loves you. Basically, that was the message I sent to him. And he responded, basically pretending like he had no clue who I was, which I know he knows who I was. Pretending like he didn't know who I was and then continued to bash me and bash my faith and, and call me an idiot because I believed in Jesus Christ. And how could somebody so simple, um, or it, it takes somebody very simple-minded to believe in Jesus Christ. And for the first time ever, something happened that had never happened in the past of me praying for, for Mike. At that point in time when he responded, my response, my immediate thought wasn't defense or how dare you cut me down or I can't believe you would say that about me. I know you're just trying to get at me. But at that point in time, my heart genuinely broke for this guy. I felt passion and, and, and just such sadness for where he's at and how much hatred he holds for God in his life. And my heart, and I mean, I don't know how else to explain it, my heart just broke. And I was just, I was deep in prayer for this guy. And God kind of brought it back around, and he said, hey, Tanner, just so you know, how you feel right now is a fragment of the amount of love that Jesus Christ had, even for the people who crucified him. And I was just like, oh, man, I can't even imagine what it's like, the, the love that you feel for us. If even when my heart breaks for this person that I've been praying about for years and I've reached out to for years, and from the beginning was my enemy, and I had wished just disappeared, disappeared along with the rest of my past. And he's saying, that's, that's just a fragment of how much I love you and I care about you. That's the kind of love that we need to have for our enemy. Mike was my enemy. Eventually, he wasn't my enemy. He might still view me as an enemy, but that's the kind of love we have to have for even our enemies that passionate, heartbreaking kind of love. But sometimes it's not so simple, right? Right from the get-go, you know, God was like, hey, you need to pray for this person named Mike. You need to reach out to him. It wasn't simple for me. It was complicated. It wasn't a simple, I need to just love this guy, and oh, it's okay, I'm going to just choose to love him. It was a process that took five years for me to get to the point where I truly loved my enemy. And so I'm not saying that it's easy for you to love your enemies. It's not easy for you to have this kind of passion for your enemies. But it is something that we need to be trying. It is something that we need to be walking in and growing in, in our love for our enemies. But sometimes we hold on to offenses. It's easy for us to hold on to the offenses of our enemies because we already don't like them to begin with. And we already are holding on to some offenses. And so as soon as they offense us, we 
just kind of latch on to that and we hold on to it. But sometimes even the people who are the closest to us, who aren't our enemies, will do something to offend us and we tend to hold on to it a little bit, don't we? Sometimes it becomes hard for us to forgive even those people who are closest to us or the people who used to be close to us. You know what I'm talking about. You guys all have those friends that used to be really close friends. Maybe they did something to you or you did something to them and one of you guys held on to an offense and over time, eventually, you guys stopped talking. Whether it was a justifiable offense or not, you guys know what I'm talking about, that offense that puts you into that spot, right? See, what we do with the people closest to us, the reason why offense is so hard for us to let go with people close to us is because it tends to hurt a little bit differently than when our enemies offend us. It's a little more raw because of the the trust you put into the, the people closest to you. And so our response when somebody offends us who's close to us is we don't typically forgive them right off the bat a lot of times. And a lot of times we don't exactly retaliate, so to say, blatantly at least. We retaliate in a different way. We take that offense, we put it in our pocket, we hold it deep inside, and we'll begin to try to get back at them and get even at them in some different way, right? So instead of, you know, saying, hey, man, that really hurt me, could you please not say that anymore? Instead, we, we wait. We wait until they say or do something stupid, and we'll make a little backhanded jab at them or something. Make fun of something that you know they're sensitive about instead. Try to dig at something that you know that will offend them back. And so a lot of times the people that are the closest to us, we harbor these offenses even more than even when enemies offend us. And so the other response, if you don't just create a backhanded smack at somebody, is you take that offense and you put it in your pocket and you try to hide it and just pretend that it will go away. But the problem with offenses is once you hold on to that offense and once you harbor that offense, until you forgive them, that offense is still somewhere inside you. It doesn't matter how deep down inside inside you you put that offense. It's somewhere in there. And it will affect the way that you see that person in the future, even your closest friends or family. And so we'll pretend. We'll pretend like everything's okay. We'll just pretend like, hey, I'm not mad that you offended me. Hey, I'm, I'm not upset that you made that dig at me. And, hey, it didn't offend me really. You know, I, I shouldn't be offended, so I'm just going to pretend like I'm not offended. Everything's fine. Everything's good and joke around, and you just wish it would go away. But what happens is the story doesn't end there when you just hold on to it and you bury it. Unfortunately, that story grows, and eventually you might make fun of your friend in a different way, or you make another offhanded remark at your friend, or maybe you'll go behind their back and you'll gossip about them a little bit, and you'll be like, hey, so-and-so said this to me. Can you believe it? You begin to gossip behind their back. You begin to talk about them behind the back. You begin to say things about each other. And eventually that offense grows and it turns into a school-wide assembly to talk about your hurts. And then the former best friend gets hit by a bus. And it's, it's an ugly habit, I promise you. No, your friend doesn't usually get hit by a bus. It was a Mean Girls reference. You guys have no humor. You got all fired. But eventually, either way, 
once we've slandered them enough or ignored them enough or tried to pretend like it didn't hurt them enough, our friendship with them is severed in some way. It gets to a point where our friendship is never the same again or our, our love for them is never the same again if it's family-related. Man, if we arbor the fences of even the closest people to us this way, how much worse do we harbor the offenses of people who we don't like and who we're enemies with? It is not okay for you to harbor and to hold on to that unforgiveness and that offense. It's never okay for you to just hang on to that and not let it go or to just hold on to it and try to hide it and try to pretend it doesn't exist and try to bury it deep down. That doesn't solve anything. It's not okay to hold on to it no matter how you hold on to it. You need to let it go and you need to move on and there's different ways in which you can do that, but it needs to be a process of getting past that offense. And before you try to tell me, but Tanner, you don't know what they did to me. You don't understand why it hurts so much that they said this or why this or why that. It was absolutely horrible. My response is the same thing that Jesus told me when I told that to him. His response was, get the log out of your eye. Because you've been in that situation before where you've said something that you didn't realize it would offend somebody and they took offense to it. You've been that person who you hurt somebody making a joke at their expense thinking that they would just laugh along with you. You've been that person before and you've hurt people maybe knowingly or unknowingly. You need to get the log out of your eye so that you can forgive them. And if you don't think that you're harboring any offenses or you don't think you've ever offended anybody else, let me just guarantee you tonight that you have because Jesus reminds us in Scripture that all have fallen short. And if you have fallen short, I guarantee you've offended somebody at some point. We've all sinned, and we have all been that person. And so right now, if you have something in your mind, someone in your mind that maybe you've offended or somebody who's offended you and you can picture them and you know you can picture them, even though the picture might be real quick and you try to shove it away, that picture is in your mind. You know who I'm talking about. You know that person you've offended. You know that person who's offended you. If you have a picture of somebody or a situation or an act or something like that that somebody did to you or you did somebody else and it came up to your mind during any of that part of my sermon, I need you to stop and I need you to make sure that you don't forget that and you write it down right now or, or put it in your phone or remember it in your brain. Whatever you can do, to, excuse me, remember that. I need you to remember it. But if it's popping into your head, do not forget. Do not forget that person. Do not forget your situation because we're going to deal with it the right way tonight. And I don't want you to forget about it. By now, you've had a fair amount of time to perhaps sift through your acquaintances in your head or shift your eyes covertly about the room to sniff out who might be holding a Caesar Brutus-like grudge against you. But before this pattern thought goes any further, I would like you to stop. Paranoia is not a fruit of the spirit, and passive aggressiveness is not a spiritual gifting. If your nervous mind could not focus genuinely in self-examination for longer than a few seconds before they were propelled outward, 
and your heart began to thrum with fear or anger at who might not like you, perhaps in this very room, then I do well in breaking off your self-destructive train of thought and slowing it until it is motionless on the railroad tracks. Try your absolute best to remain impartial, intrigued, and introspective during this final vital part of my taxing tale. So perhaps you're sitting here and you have an offense that someone else has committed against you that is absolutely beyond comprehension, that you truly believe that nobody else could really understand. It was so heinous and so over the top and so brutal or so ridiculous that you just absolutely cannot, cannot love that person. You cannot forgive that person. I want you to think about this. Let's continue in John 13. I told you to bookmark it. We're going to jump backwards in John 13. We're going to jump back to John, or to verse 2, sorry, in John 13. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You see, it's very clear here, Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him, yet Jesus still washed 24 feet that night. He still washed 12 pairs of feet. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And yet he got down on his hands and knees and he washed Jesus' feet. And he made an example of him. And we all know the point Jesus is making and sharing with us to wash their feet and and that he was um, displaying by washing his disciples' feet and serving his disciples in that moment. So perhaps your offense, if you're sitting in here, isn't as severe as somebody tried to have you killed. But no matter what your offense is, Jesus is still saying to love them. He's still saying that you don't get to treat them differently just because they've offended you. You don't get to shun them away and not wash their feet. You don't get to choose to not love them. You don't get to to harbor that offense and that unforgiveness. He's saying, in fact, you don't get to do that. You get to do the opposite of that. You get to wash their feet. And also, keep in mind, Jesus knew that Peter would deny him as well at this point. And yet Jesus washed his feet. How many of you guys have that friend that is only really your friend when they have nothing else to do? And so you harbor a little bit of offense every time they hang out with somebody and don't invite you. That friend's denying you. That, that, friend's, that friend is your Peter. And Jesus is still saying, wash his feet. And here's the thing. In order to get past your offense, you have to be offensive in dealing with your offense. You have to be proactive. You have to, to actually be in the process of dealing with your offenses. And those offenses that you harbor, 
because in reality, when you deal with your offenses and you deal with them appropriately and properly, you stand to gain nothing except for a brother or a sister. In dealing with your, uh, dealing with your offenses, you gain a brother in Christ. You gain a sister in Christ in your walk. Even though Mike absolutely hates me, I still view him as a brother in Christ now. I still view him as somebody that needs reached. I no longer view him as my enemy. And so before I continue on, let me quickly say something. I'm asking you to, to, to talk to people about your offenses. When someone offends, offends you, actually deal with it and have that conversation with them and, and go through the process. But in talking to somebody about how they offended you, it does not give you permission to steamroll them and try to make them feel guilty and ashamed for what they did. It is merely an opportunity in which you get to talk to them about how you felt and that you want to move on because you don't want to harbor offense. And you're saying, man, I forgive you already. I love you already. I just want you to know that that hurt a little bit, and I'm moving past it. It does not give you the opportunity to be like, you're this, you're this, you're annoying. I don't like you. I can't believe you would do this. You don't get to steamroll them in dealing with your offenses. That is not how you proactively deal with your offense. How you proactively deal with your offenses in love because you're still called to love this neighbor. See, my favorite way to deal with offense is actually to ask for forgiveness from the person who I'm harboring offense for. Because my unforgiveness is a sin in itself. My hatred or my anger for them is a sin in itself. And so I ask them for forgiveness. I don't even necessarily say why. I just ask them for forgiveness for harboring that offense harboring that unforgiveness and a way to move past it. But you didn't do anything wrong. Well, you held on to an offense. That's wrong enough. It's not a competition. You're not trying to figure out who the worst person is and who the worst person is needs to deal with it. It's not a competition. You want to make sure your relationship is right with God. And so you need to deal with this the right way so that you can reach other people for him. So why shouldn't you harbor your offenses? Why shouldn't you hold on to offenses? Why is it bad for you to hold on to unforgiveness? Because the more that we are willing to put ourselves out there and to deal with things and make things right only allows us to love other people more. And the more that we love other people, the more that, that we love other people, the more we can begin to understand how Jesus loves them and how Jesus loves us. And the more that we understand how Jesus loves us, man, that changes everything. I can't even fathom sometimes how much Jesus loves me. I can't fathom it sometimes. I know the crap that I've done. I know the, the, the hurt that I've caused. I know the, the sins I've committed. I can't fathom sometimes how much Jesus loves me. You guys know that feeling when when you screw up and you're just like, man, God just hates me. And you start just suddenly feeling like God's holding something against you or that God doesn't like you or God's punishing you or maybe you don't feel close to God because of maybe how you screwed up or something like that. And you, you start to believe that Jesus doesn't quite love you as much as he loves everybody else. If you've ever felt like that, then it's been hard for you to understand how Jesus can love you so much too. 
And so the longer that you put this off, the less likely you will to be to deal with it. And so we need to be active and we need to be on point in dealing with our offenses as soon as they come to our mind. Because the longer that you hold on to that offense, the longer you try to bury it, the more likely you are to just let it go and, and or not let it go in the good way, but just kind of let it go and just let it fester inside of you until it comes to a breaking point. And you might blame somebody else for something that somebody else had done to you and you harbored that offense and somebody else repeated that action and so you blow up at them for something that they didn't even really do, but you held on to offense from five years ago because you just didn't deal with it. And so tonight we're going to put on a little bit of worship music. And tonight we're going to deal with our offenses. We're going to deal with those who have offended us, and we're going to deal with those people that we've offended. I'm going to put on a little bit of worship. We're going to put a little bit of light music on so that maybe you can talk a little bit louder so that people can can hear. But I don't want you to miss the opportunity to ask somebody for forgiveness or to, to apologize to somebody. Because I see how people have been treating each other in Chi Alpha lately, and I know there's a lot of offenses going around. And so if you had a name pop up in your head, I do not want you to rip it up. I don't want you to forget it. I want you to remember that name, and if that person is in here, We're going to give you a short opportunity to go to them, ask them for forgiveness, and move on past that offense. And so tonight, if the people that you have listed in your head aren't here tonight, the people that have come to your mind while I've been praying and while I've been preaching aren't here tonight, then I want you to do two things for me. I need you to write down those names, and I need you to deal with those offenses eventually. And I would say eventually, as in within the next 48 hours, Because like I said, the longer you go without dealing with that offense, the less likely you are to actually deal with it. And so I would say, um, if if the person that that you're harboring the offense, the name, the person, the event, isn't somebody who's in here, write it down and remember it. But then the next thing you need to do is, I need you to be praying for two things. I need you to pray for those people who might have you on their list, that they would have the courage and come up and talk to you about it. And I need you to be having, or I need you to be praying that you have the grace to receive it. And then I need you to be praying for the people on your list, and actually praying for them. I don't mean the God, could you just destroying them because they're horrible people? I mean actually pray for them, have passion for them, have love for them, and pray for them. So, I'm not sure where we're at on the worship music, but what's that? Well, we'll just play some music on a phone, I guess. Um, and, yeah, we'll get it going. But either way, spend a little bit of time in prayer. When the music starts and the lights go down, find those people who are you harboring offense on. All right. If there's names on your list, you need to take care of them within the next 48 hours. Even if you don't want to. Even if it's a really small name and it's just like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. But it definitely came to your mind when I was talking about offenses. You still need to deal with it. 
Because the thing about offenses is that if we're harboring offenses against each other, it makes it so much harder for us to have the mindset of reaching out to, to spread the gospel, to do what Jesus Christ is asking us to do. And so your personal ministry, and each of you have your own ministry, because Jesus Christ did call us to make disciples. If you're in here, Jesus Christ called you to make disciples as well. And it is still your calling and your duty to make disciples. Making disciples is a lot harder when you're harboring offenses. Because it's harder to love people. And it's harder to see people without blemish the way Jesus sees them. And so you're still called to make disciples. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hash out some of our issues, to talk about some of our problems, some of our offenses. Lord, we thank you for showing us how to love, showing us how much you love. God, I pray for the students here tonight that if, if they're holding on to an offense, that you would bring it to their mind that you wouldn't let them forget about it for the next 48 hours and that you would give them the strength and the courage to deal with those offenses. Lord, if there's a phone call that's going to need to happen or a conversation that's going to take place and it's just wrenching these students' stomach, Lord, I pray you would give them peace too. You give them the peace and the strength to deal with it the right way. Lord, we thank you for what you've done tonight, and we thank you what you're going to do in the next 48 hours in all of our lives. And so, Lord, we give you the glory and you the praise, and it is in your name that we do this. Amen.